Hey, welcome to the Behind the Screen Podcast. Andy Benoit here with my friend Greg Cosell. Go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Greg, the jumping off point, Russell Wilson news today. We saw that he's going to sit the rest of the season. They're going to avoid the $37 million extra charge that might come if he were unavailable due to injury next year, which means it looks like his Broncos time is nearing its end. What is next, if anything, then for Russell Wilson? Let's start there. Well, let's look at this season first because that's that's the foundation of why they did what they did. And I think we know that, you know, Sean Payton has a certain style of offense. Um, obviously, he had a, a Hall of Fame quarterback in Breeze, but Breeze was a master at executing the precise timing and rhythm that Sean Payton's offense demands. Um, and Russell Wilson is not that kind of quarterback. Russell Wilson is not a pure timing and rhythm player, and that's the offense that Sean Payton runs. You can watch tape and see every week that throws are are missed. And when I say missed, I don't mean by poor ball location. I mean they're missed with Russell Wilson not turning it loose to open receivers within the structure and timing of the design play call. And I'm sure that that did not make Russell Wilson excuse me, make Sean Payton a happy camper because his offense is built on that. And that's the way he wants the, the pass game executed. So, you know, when all said and done, I don't think it was a good marriage. Um, the question going forward is, will somebody still look at Russell Wilson and see him as a higher level starter? But I think you then have to understand what he is and you need a run game. You need a really good defense. You need a lot of other pieces if you want him to be your starting quarterback. Yeah, it's almost, in a way, very extremely different style of players, but kind of like Cam Newton in the sense where he's a very specific type of quarterback. You run a specific type of offense with him. And he was such a – I mean, he was an A-level star, Newton and Russell Wilson, for the prime of their career. It's a difficult guy at times to take and say, well, you know, where does – he better fit in all the way. You can't fit him in halfway. It's not going to work for the rest of your offense. And I wonder if that's going to limit the market for Wilson after the, I mean, he's certainly not going to go anywhere as a backup. I can't imagine he would want to do that or anyone would want to do that. So well, what's the market for him then? Well, it's a great question because the league normally tells you what you are. Um, you know, the interesting thing about Russell Wilson and, and when he was with Seattle, obviously they had for a number of years, the clearly most dominant defense in football. They had a really strong run game that they could lean on. There were many games in each season, even in in those dominant years, where they might have 130 or 140 yards of total offense after three quarters, but because the defense was so good, the game might be 10-7 or 13-10. And then Russell Wilson, one of his great traits was that he was able to make special plays in the fourth quarter very often outside of structure, you know, off-schedule plays. And he was really good at that. That was that was something he did as well or better than any quarterback in the league in his, what I guess would be called his prime years. But there were four or five games a year, Andy, where their offense did not do very much at all, but because of the quality of their defense, they were in those games and could win those games in the fourth quarter. And that's where Wilson clearly excelled. Um, uh, And, you know, he obviously threw a really good deep ball. I mean, he had really good traits. He's just a certain he had certain kinds of traits and fits a certain kind of, of offense. And I don't think he fits what Sean Payton sees as the way he wants the quarterback position played. 
Yeah, and, and I don't think it's a surprise to anyone that that entering the season had studied Sean Payton or Russell Wilson over a great Correct. length of time. I actually, to be honest with you, Greg, and and I, I, I everything you're describing, I think it's consistent with what the the film has shown. So it's not a, a refutation of anything here. But I thought he was Wilson. I thought it went a little better for a lot of the season than I would have guessed. I did not have high hopes for it. Right. Um, I thought it went better than expected. Doesn't mean I'm saying that I that Denver shouldn't be doing what they're doing. I understand. And, and if they didn't have the, the financial issue next year, I think there's a good chance they'd be finishing out with Wilson these last two games. It's a little bit of a Derek Carr type of situation with, with the Raiders last year where well, the banking's a little bit influenced by they know they're going to move on after this year. And I would agree with you that they went a little better, but I think – the issue for Sean Payton, who's not as young, obviously, as as silly statement I was going to say as he used to be. None of us are as young as we used to be. But the point <laughs> is, I don't think Sean Payton sees, you know, he doesn't see a 10 or 15 year coaching career in his future. And I think instead of waiting another year for in his mind, and that's the key thing, not what you and I think, but for in his mind, not the kind of quarterback he ideally wants. I don't think he wants to wait another year. I think he wants yeah. to get in his mind, the quarterback that that ideally he would like to play with and whether he's able to get him or not, only time will tell. But I think it, he's made the determination that that's not Russell Wilson. You know, I wonder, if Sean Payton, if you had him in, in the, an honest heart of heart moments, you know, some were thinking he wanted the Charger job, it sounded like last year, this time a year ago. Right. That was what the grapevine was saying. Obviously, the Charger job is going to be available. Justin Herbert's a type of QB I assume Peyton would want to play with. I think any coach would want to have Justin Herbert. I wonder how Sean Peyton feels in this scenario because Denver, it's it's one thing it's okay, but making a change at quarterback, you still have got, got to go find the guy as that's well. That's the other and, that, that's the issue is so, now you have to find one because they don't fall out of the sky. And, um, you know, which leads it, and and we'll we'll talk more about this, you know, after the season as we get into the draft season. But you know, people talk about a particular draft such as this one being really good for the, you know, at the quarterback position. But you and I both know that let's say there's six or seven guys who are viewed as top forty picks. All six or seven are not going to be NFL superstars. It doesn't work like that in any draft. Um, so, you, you know, names are being thrown around as if these guys are automatically superstars at the next level, um, which is not their fault. <laughs> I mean, they're just playing yeah. ball and, <laughs> and looking forward to getting to the NFL. But it doesn't work like that. So it's it's not so easy. You know, that's that's been the case for years with fans of teams, Andy, where, you know, oh, let's get rid of this guy because he's just not good. enough. Well, that's great. But really good quarterbacks don't just fall out of the sky. Yeah, no, no, no question about that. And it's it's interesting too with that that note on the Chargers. It's not there are not an abundance of offensive coaches on the head coaching carousel this year. There's Ben Johnson, maybe Bobby Slowick. It's not like it's you know yeah. the, the next Sean McVay that I look for every year. There isn't an obvious one beyond maybe those two guys. So that a Charger job, Sean Payton. I bet he's wondering a little bit about that. But um, the other quarterback I want to ask you about, Greg, because he's getting the MVP chattered now is Lamar Jackson. Another another yeah. one that's gone better than I thought it would go when we're talking about a QB adjusting to a new coach, in this case, Todd Monken. And Monken, I think, to his credit, and you tell me what you think, Monken's done a phenomenal job of also adjusting to Lamar, which makes all the sense. I agree. They paid all the money to. 
they've kept the best of the offense from before in the Greg Roman run game. They've done some things on, on in the past game out of wider formations, more 11 personnel-ish type stuff, and it's gone really well so far. Yeah, I mean, I think Lamar, and it goes way beyond the numbers because they're, they're a complete team with a run game of which Lamar is a significant part, and you can't lose sight of that because that dictates how defenses line up and play. So you can't you have to account for Lamar in the run game when you talk about their run game. You know, that's that's a critical element. It's easy to say they lost great backs and now they're playing with uh, with Hill, Justice Hill and Gus Edwards. And, you know, they're, they're not great backs in a strict sense. But Lamar is a major factor in how defenses have to play. Um, so you have to factor that in. But I think that their pass game has been a little more expansive. You're 100% right. I think Lamar's taken to it really well. But because they're a complete team with an excellent defense, they're a really good third-down defense. They they lead the NFL in sacks. Their secondary is really good. Um, you know, Kyle Hamilton is one of the most multidimensional, diverse players in the league right now. He's a, he's a fascinating player to watch on tape and how he's deployed. Um Lamar doesn't have to put up big numbers every single week. So for people who just look at numbers, I think they're missing the impact that Lamar has. Um, You know, I've been giving this a lot of thought, too, and we've talked about this in our matchup room. And one of my guys actually said this. And as soon as he said it, I said, oh, yeah, you're 100 percent right. You know, because it you know know how sometimes people say things and you thought the same thing, but you just didn't say it quite in your mind. You didn't see it quite the same way. Um, uh, One of our guys said that, you know, the reason that defenses always say they want to keep quarterbacks in the pocket, whether it's Lamar, obviously, you know, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, is not because they can't throw from the pocket, Andy. It's because defensively, you can still play within the structure of your defense. Once they get out of the pocket, the structure of your defense goes a little bit awry. You know, your defense is structured to play within at most 2.5 seconds, okay? Because the way NFL passing games work is three-step drop timing is 1.5 seconds. Five-step drop timing is 2.1 seconds. Seven-step drop timing is 2.5 seconds. After that, defenses are not really structured to play. So after that, sort of, I don't want to say all hell breaks loose, but, but the structure of your defense that you've practiced all week sort of, you know, goes away. That's why you want to keep guys in the pocket, not because they can't pass. It's because the structure ends. Um, And you saw that this week with Lamar, the first play of the third quarter when he ended up hitting Gus Edwards for a 30 plus yard gain. You know, he left the pocket to his right and Dre Greenlaw immediately saw him and left his underneath zone coverage responsibility running at at uh, Lamar and Edwards, who wasn't even part of the normal play call, which was actually flood to the opposite side of the field. He just leaked out to where Greenlaw abandoned and it became a big play because the structure of your defense falls apart. Yeah. That's one thing I think Baltimore's had success with this season is I I know like the, the Lions game comes to mind for me when they would run some of these read options with pass tags on the end of it. Yeah, they almost compel the defense to break down structure in certain parts. They put guys in a real bind and are willing to throw later in the down because the ball can go somewhere else later in the down with this offense. The ball can go to unexpected places. And and that's what's worked. You know what what surprises me? And I I know I don't think anyone's talking about it, Greg. 
if you watch the film, Lamar's not as fast as he was in previous years. I I, I don't think he's the I think Justin Fields is the fastest quarterback in the league. When I say fast, I mean twitchy as well as part of that to me. If it, can you go from zero to sixty? Because that's really how you run as a quarterback anyway. And I don't think he does not have the same juice that he had as a pure runner, and yet he's playing at a very high level. I would agree with that. I mean, the run that he had the other night near the end of the first half, I believe, was 31 yards, was his longest run of the year. Um, you don't really see him running in a straight line the way he used to, but he can still make plays clearly outside of structure, and you still have to account for that. Um, no question. You know, again, that's that's another thing that's often missed with quarterbacks that have movement ability is you do have to account for that, let's say, on third down. If it's third you know, third and four becomes a much more difficult down against Lamar Jackson or or Josh Allen or, you know, than it does against a pure pocket quarterback. I mean, you and I both really like Jared Goff a lot. I mean, I love the way he plays. I love watching him play. But I mean, third and four, he's not really going to leave the pocket and make a first down running the ball. You know, so it changes the way you can play defense. Um, in, in a positive way if you're a defensive coach. Um, so, you know, I think you have to factor all this in and look beyond the numbers. They've had a number of blowout wins this year. They beat Seattle big. They beat Detroit big. These were games in which he did not have to throw the ball very much, and therefore the numbers were irrelevant. Yeah, no, that's a, a good part. Are they the best team in the AFC, in your opinion, right now? And I know this might get solved this week because they played the, the team that would maybe be someone else's answer if it's not Baltimore. Yeah, I mean, I think they're 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 very complete right now. I mean, it's it's you know it's always hard to those questions are hard to answer because obviously they they have not played Miami and we'll see what happens this week. I think most people would view Baltimore as a a better team than Miami right now. Maybe that'll change the games in Baltimore if Miami can go there and win I think the the worldview of Miami would change rather significantly um, Miami's defense has improved greatly since Jalen Ramsey has got the, gotten there they rushed the quarterback well uh, in addition um, so you know I guess we'll find out um, as you know when you play Miami you, you know the speed they put out and I know Jalen Waddle has a high ankle sprain so I guess we'll find out what his status is for this week uh, but the speed they put on the field, just look at what happened last week. The Dallas Cowboys had been the highest percentage man-to-man cover defense in the league all season long. We know that has been Dan Quinn's M.O. It's man coverage, cover one behind pressure, behind a great pass rush. They hardly played any snaps of cover one against the Miami Dolphins because the reality is, as good as Gilmore's been in his career, he can't run the way he used to, and Bland can't run, so they're just you know, they just knew they could not get beat over the top by Hill and Waddle. And in yeah. fact, on the second play of the game, Hill dropped what could have been about, what, an 80 or 90-yard touchdown? 92-yard um, touchdown. Yeah, yeah. did drop it. Yeah, so, I mean, on a beautiful throw, by the way, by Tua. So, you know, you... you, you you know, speed does certain things to you. I mean, it, it took a, a Dan Quinn defense and, and that plays high percentage man coverage and turn them into something that they don't play much of at all because he was scared. I mean, a couple of plays later on that same drive, Waddle ran right by Gilmore, like Gilmore was, was not even there. And, you know, for a 50-yard gain. So, you know, we talk about Lamar and how he impacts a defense. Now you talk about Hill and Waddle and how they impact a defense. Yeah, you know, the other thing that's interesting that Dallas did in that game, they played 
we talked a few weeks ago, and, and just by the way, I'm pulling up the number. Dallas had 11 snaps of man-to-man. I think there were 66 snaps in that game. So it's, you know, what it was that one in six snaps for them. There are normally about two out of five snaps man-to-man overall. We're talking all snaps. Right, but right. Yeah, I usually, the way I do it in my mind is I think in terms of the pass game, but, you know, you're looking at every snap, yeah. Yeah, no, fair, fair point. And, and when they got into obvious passing situations, they played actually most of those 11 snaps came on third down scenarios. But what was different is they kept two defenders back. They rushed four. They played with a four down front instead of a five down front. Yeah, yep. And basically doubled. The hill was the double almost every play. And they had double team elements at other parts. And that was what was different. They weren't playing single high man the way that they normally did. No, and, and they played a ton out of dime, which – they, that was they, the other thing I was going to say. Yep. Dime, they, they even don't on, normally on play down. that many snaps of dime with six defensive backs. Yeah. On, on against 21 personnel on early downs. We talked I know. About yeah. Ago, the, the, who was it? The Raiders who play nickel every snap. And they just had a great performance this past week on Christmas as well. But they, uh, you know, they played base against Miami's 21 personnel. We were kind of wondering what was behind that. Dallas went the other direction. And, and that's a Dallas, a team that has linebackers who can run. They've got former safeties playing linebacker. In some I know, spots, yeah. And they yeah. still went dime uh, to keep the, the speed on the field with those guys. No, you're 100% right. So, I mean, you know, ultimately what we're doing is we're talking about how different players, and it's not just the quarterback, can impact defenses. Because, you know, we always think just in terms of offense. Uh, but you have to think about how defenses game plan and prepare to play teams you know, as I said, you know, it goes back to what I said about the quarterback, you know, that that can make plays outside of structure. You know, you want him in the pocket because you can play in structure and because that's the way it's coached. You know, you, you know you've know, you been around that. I mean, you know, no one no one rolls the ball out on either side of the ball and say, hey, guys, let's just see how it goes today. You know, that's yeah. not the way things are coached. Yeah, I'm really glad you mentioned Miami's defense as well because having Ramsey backs made a difference. I've been He's really such a good player. Surprised. You know that. He's such a good player. Great player. Great, great, great in every way. Their pass rush has been so much better than I when, – when, when they lost Phillips a few weeks ago, I wondered if that was going to change some things for if they were going to look like a different defense. They do such a good job of rushing for and getting clean rushers when they do it. These simulated pressures, they overload one side – blitz one guy, drop another guy, and, and they lead the league in unblocked pressure snaps, among many others. They lead the league in almost all the pressure categories. That, to me, is is one of the bigger surprises this season. I know they've got good guys inside. and Wilkins That, to me, I'm so glad you just said that because, you know, when people think pass rush, maybe with the exception of Aaron Donald, most people think edge rushers. Wouldn't you say that that's the case? Yeah, of course, yeah. I think that Christian Wilkins and Zach Zyler, who I think is a really good football player, um, just like Justin Matabuki is a really good player for Baltimore, I think Zyler is, is a really good player. And those two players inside, they are able to generate pressure. And I think that that's something that is not talked about enough with the Miami Dolphins because, you know, obviously they did lose Phillips. You know, Chubb this past week was playing against backups and he looked like Lawrence Taylor. But yeah. <laughs> uh, but for the most part, you know, I think that um, uh, those two guys inside are really important to their pass rush. Yeah, Zach Sealer, by the way, was a Raven. For he came into the league as a seventh round pick of Baltimore in 2018. I I, I did not I remember that. that. Yeah, yeah, but um, no, he he's been phenomenal. Wilkins been phenomenal. They're very good at executing their stunts. Variety. I was just gonna, stunts. you know, great minds think alike today. I was just 
really going to say they're very good with TT stunts on the inside. Yeah, they are. They're phenomenal. The other guy that's been good for them, and he's actually stepped up, you know, and I think they were playing him on and off the ball. We talked about him a little bit a few weeks ago. I know exactly what you're going to say, but I'll let you say it. Well, thank you. Well, we'll see here. Andrew Van Ginkle. That's that's the guy. Uh, Yep. And, you know, by they signed Jason Pierre-Paul, kind of found out, all right, that looks like the, the gas is out of the tank. Great career for that guy. Melvin Ingram, I didn't think, looked very good, honestly. Maybe he'll get going. He looked like he'd been on the couch, though, for much of this season this past week. So Van Ginkle's still playing off the edge. The sense I get is they want to have him playing on and off the ball again, and yeah. they're trying to find that number two guy to go opposite Chubb or really – you know, we'll see if that goes, but they're relying on Melvin Ingram to kind of come in and maybe replace Phillips. I don't know if it'll happen or not, but if it doesn't, Van Ginkle's really stepped up anyway as, as a I agree. guy. He's a really good football player. And, you know, and to play on the ball and off the ball, those are different world views, you know, when you're looking at the offense. So that that is probably not as easy as people think it is, but he's handled playing both on the ball and off the ball extremely well. I wonder if in this system, if it's a little easier for a guy to transition to that, just because the guys that the, the end man on the line of scrimmage so often is dropping into coverage out of the five down fronts anyway, and especially yeah. when simulated pressures that when you're learning the position in summer, when they're installing things, I bet they teach a lot of those guys, a lot of their front. I bet Bradley Chubb has learned a lot of stack linebacker assignments. You're probably right. Well, you're probably right. Really they have to install that a yeah. little bit. I'm sure, um, I'm sure you're right about that. You know, the other thing I want to mention on the Dolphins to get your thoughts on, their safeties have been phenomenal from from the start of the season and then with, with Javon Holland being out and he was, was having a great year. Brandon Jones, to me, great. I don't know how much you, if you've seen a lot of Brandon Jones. When he was in the Josh Boyer system playing kind of that stack dime linebacker, I thought he was a phenomenal blitzer. The numbers bared that out. Now he's in the Fangio system playing as purely a zone lend presence match kind of you know the vague grayness of playing safety for Fangio it's not an easy <laughs> job at all yeah. you know and, and he's handled that really was almost played two different positions at a really high level for two different staffs in the last couple of years in Miami I would agree it's funny you say that because I noticed him a year ago you know obviously it was a different a different defense and I thought he was really really good playing with Holland I thought just based on tape that that they had as good a safety duo as there was in the league because Holland's a really good player. I mean, obviously Holland played a lot on the ball as part of a you know a blitzing scenario, um, you know, and then he played on the back end as well. But I thought Brandon Jones always stood out when I watched Miami's defense a year ago. And you're right, he's playing almost a totally different position this year, and I think he still shows up and flashes on tape. He's just a really good player. So I did. I, I actually went through all of his snaps and tracked when he blitzed and didn't blitz. And when Brandon Jones last year was part of Miami's pass rush, their numbers for success rate in terms of winning the snap, keeping the offense under a certain yard to gain sure. based on the down and distance, they were the number one most successful defense in the NFL on snaps when he was part of the pass rush. When he wasn't, they were number 30 or 26, something. Wow. Way, way that, that's, a, that's a fascinating uh, number. Well, he kept, you know what he does so well? He timed his blitzes yes. so exceptionally well, especially against the run, which you don't think about as much, but he was so good and they don't use him that way. And I'm not saying they should. That's not within their their identity under this new system, but he was so, he just has such a feel for football. I bet he's one of those guys that kind of like a, a 
Quandre Diggs almost, a different type of player. But one of those guys, just if you put him on the field, he's going to be one of your 11 best players. He's going to make plays. He's a football player first and I agree. foremost. Yeah, and he's an overlooked guy just in terms of discussion, you know, from immediate perspective because, you know, they have their offense. Obviously, people talk about Holland is, you know, when healthy is a really good safety. Ramsey's there now. Um, but uh, but I think Jones is a critical piece to their defense. They have a really good defense, I think. Yeah, they do. Really good yeah. defense. And they've lost some guys, and they've still stepped up. You know, they're playing with backup linebackers right now. They lost Phillips, like we said, and they still are playing at a really high level. NFC, Greg, real quick. Let's go over there because we haven't talked to NFC in a little while. Who right, 49ers, I think we still see them as probably the the premium team of the NFC, not to generalize it, but I, I'm not I, I would maybe, agree with that. But I'm not I'm not I don't think the sky is falling because they lost to a good Ravens. And, and I don't think it was as, as big a beatdown as, as many people think. I watched that tape and uh you know I don't think it was as big a beatdown. Uh but yeah, I still think they're the class of the NFC. Discussions about Dallas and Philadelphia, you know, we can get into that. My question I want to get to in, in Detroit, you know, they, maybe they've got things right. Those other three teams, though, at any point early in the year, looked like, oh, that's a Super Bowl team. You know, they've been a little back and forth. Who's the second best team in the NFC in theory? Or like, who's the team you well, least want to play? Because I have an answer I, that's different than what people might guess. I want to hear yours, though. Well, let's talk Detroit for a minute. I don't know if that's your answer or not, but. To me, Detroit's biggest question mark as they go forward is going to be their corner position. And, and that's a big position in the NFL, obviously, because it's really hard to cover up average or, or poor corner play in this league. Um, and I think that's their question. Um, you know, they, they Mel, Melifanu has been a starting safety the last two weeks. I did him coming out of college. He was a corner at Syracuse, and they, he's made the transition now to safety. And for the last two weeks, he's been an impact playmaker on that defense at the safety position. They're going to get Gardner Johnson back, He's but he's another safety. So, you know, the question for me is the corner position when they get into games, you know, teams will attack their corners. And if, because if you don't have good corner play, you have to sort of structure your defense to compensate for that and to camouflage it. And that can limit what you want to do because they've been hurt when they've tried to play a lot of man coverage. So they have to be a little careful about that. But, you know, Detroit, and maybe it's because I enjoy watching them so much, particularly on offense, but but I, I really like what they do on offense. And I think they're a very difficult offense to play against. Yeah, their pass rush has been better than I thought it would be, too. And I know the yeah. numbers, the sack numbers are low, but the other numbers, you know, sacks aren't everything, as you know. In fact, I bet no, yeah. I, I, probably a third of sacks, you could argue, are, are circumstantial to some degree, yes. one way or another. So the number of times they hit the quarterback and what happens when they do hit the quarterback, they're, they're near the top of the league in that. That's what blows my mind because they really don't have – We've talked about Aiden Hutchinson. He's not a purist. He's a great player. He's not the purest bender. They don't have anyone other than that. They don't have gap-penetrating defensive tackles. They don't have another edge guy. And they're not a huge designer pressure team either, necessarily. And maybe that's because of those corners that you're talking about. The the more I talk through this defense with you, and you, you make a great point about the cornerback position with these guys, 
the more impressed I am with Aaron Glenn and the job that he's doing. Yeah. Because he's getting a lot out of a little, and I no disrespect to their players, but he's getting a lot out of a little compared to some of these other teams we're talking about. So who's the team that, that you feel that uh, may, others may not? The team I would least want to see other than San Francisco in the NFC right now is the Rams. I, that's a very fair statement. Yeah. Um, and it's, it almost starts with their offense as much. I mean, their, de- their defense is over. Talk about overachieving. Their defense is – they're the 32nd-ranked defense for salary in terms of money they spend, and that includes Aaron Donald, who's by far the highest-paid player in the league, and they're 32nd in draft position. If you take everybody – all the draft stats add up who each – you know, where each guy was picked, they have the lowest drafted defense in the league, the least talented defense in the NFL – playing middle of the pack every stat there is out there and really playing better than that at times. And then their offense is scoring 30 points a week right now, it feels like. Yeah. uh, I mean, I think defensively they have a similar concern as the Lions. I mean, they play Witherspoon at boundary corner. They were playing Kendrick at field corner, but I I think he got benched this past game and they ended up playing Durant on the outside opposite Witherspoon at field corner. Kendrick, I think, only played eight or ten snaps. So – you know, and Witherspoon, it's funny, I did him coming out of the University of Colorado. He was long, pretty athletic, wasn't didn't run great, but I mean he's their boundary corner. So he's getting a lot of one on one matchups. And I think for the most part, I think he's played pretty well this year. Um, yeah. And I thought he played pretty well in Pittsburgh too. But you know, my guess is teams would feel that that their corners are beatable. Um, you know, but they don't play a ton of man, you know, I mean, relative to the rest of the league. No, of course, no, absolutely not. And that was that's been true every year. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, they they play. I'm looking. They're snapped 27th in total snaps out of man to man. Yeah, and they've been 32nd for most of the other year. 32nd by a wide margin. It's not a man to man defense. Uh, it, it's it's very similar to Miami. Those it's very vague gray zone type of defenses. Who did but they I've just, just been be- blown away with what they're getting out of what they. I mean, some of these guys, Greg, Michael Hoyt. Who, and it's spelled like heck, H-O-E-C-H-T, yeah. 97, has more drops in coverage than any 300-pounder in the history of the NFL. By I the know. Way. And he gets better at it every single week. I, lo- <laughs> I, I loved what they did against the Saints. I love their pressure concepts. They used Jones as a really important part of their pressure schemes because it kept the back in, and, and often it was Kamara, who's obviously an excellent receiver, I just thought they had a great plan. They executed it really well. Maybe it was specific to the Saints, but that doesn't matter. That's who was on their schedule, and that's who they had to beat. Um, but um, yeah, you no, know, that's I, a that's a great point too because I I know when when you face the Saints and it's partly that system and it's partly Camara. The biggest thing you have to figure out is how do we limit the back in the passing game because and that they the did that with pressure part of the passing game. Yeah, and, and your it, point about Jones, who's also been blitzing at a really high level. Yes. So that's funny watching that tape. One of the first things I thought of, and this is just because I've been doing this a long time, was how Bill Belichick back when the um, uh, Colts had Edger and James would blitz, not because he expected to sack Peyton Manning, but he wanted to make sure Edger and James, who was one of the best receiving backs in the game at the time, would not be able to free release into routes. And, you know, that would eliminate James as a viable receiving weapon just as this past week because of what they did with Jones and how he pressured. And he actually won a couple of times. He beat Jamal Williams to sack a car on a play. Um, 
but uh, just just the fact that they blitzed them forced the back to have to stay in by the structure of their front and how they and how they attacked with the pressure concepts. Well, and what's interesting about that too, and I don't know if Carr's the best, but I'm thinking what your, your point about Belichick with Edger and James. I had this discussion with guys who coached Philip Rivers for a long time. If you blitz, that quarterback knows his back is out of the equation. A lot That's of times, correct. The reads on that system in New Orleans very often start away from the back and the backs to check down and they they really encourage check downs check downs it's, it's more aggressive check downs than most but they encourage that more than most schemes if you take that back that that check down out now you've got a different mindset from your quarterback when he's making his front side reads if he knows that he maybe that back's not going to be there the way i normally expect him to be there, you know, that's that can be a really viable tactic against some of those veteran quarterbacks. I know Philip Rivers, Cody, we can say this now because Rivers is done. They did not want his back eliminated from the equation. There was who was it? Kansas City in week 18 several years ago played man to man coverage. They played, uh, well, no, excuse me, they played cover two, but man to man on the back. So they had zone coverage, and then you get a lot more checkdowns against zone coverage. They locked the back. They only rushed three when they did this, and they made Philip Rivers have to play against two deep zone with no checkdown built in, and it worked. That's really, really well. interesting. Yeah, I didn't know that. I mean, I don't remember that, you know. But that's really an interesting way to play um, because, yeah, a lot of quarterbacks like to get the ball to the back, and particularly against zone, there's often a lot of space. Um, and if it's a good receiving back, you know, that can turn out to be a pretty good sized chunk uh, as a yeah. play. But uh, but I thought the Rams, you know, just to you know, finish talking about the Rams offensively. I mean, it, it's, it's reduced, it's reduced splits, it's shifts, it's motion, it's stacks, it's bunches. I mean, they're really, really difficult to defend. Um, and, you know, Stafford's playing at a really high level. I mean, obviously he's been around a long time. He sees it clearly. Um, he's, he's a good mix of aggressive when necessary and patient when necessary. Um, but I just love conceptually how they build their their offense with all the shifts, with the motions and the bunches. It's just a really, it, to me, it would be really difficult to, to figure out how to defend. Yeah, and I think you could argue, argue right now that in terms of when, when he knows what the, the coverage is pre-snap, or at least he knows one deep or two deep, you could argue Stafford's the most dangerous quarterback in the league when he knows the coverage once he's taken the snap. He's, yeah, he's really really good and he can make every throw i mean they had i mean over these last what since maybe week nine or so around there their offense has been really difficult to play against i mean they they are playing at a high level um and they, they because of of the way in which they play what we've been talking about they they are really able to define the throws cleanly for Stafford, which takes nothing away from Stafford. That's what every coach wants to do with the quarterback. But they just put so much pressure on defenses, kind of to figure it out. And it's yeah. it's hard to figure it out because because of the motions. The motions make it really difficult. Yeah, and they're they're they do motion at the snap as much as with wide receivers. They do it as much as any team in the league. Yeah. So it's fast motion at the snap. Yes. Greg, I could talk football with you all, Dave. I'll let you get out of here, though. Have a happy New Year. My friend Greg Cosell, NFL Films. I'm Andy Benoit. This is Behind the Screen Podcast. Go ahead and hit that subscribe button, and we will, I guess we'll talk to you in 2024. 